and welcome to another edition of Comfortably Unnum, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society here in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. First off, I have to say, wow, it absolutely warmed my heart to see the positive response and feedback to our inaugural cast a couple of weeks ago. Um, this definitely exceeded our expectations, uh, definitely exceeded my expectations on, on how the first podcast would go. So, um, you know, I feel like the topic of recovery and, uh, you know, especially Evan's story really resonated with people. Uh, it's our goal to shine some hope through the realities of the struggle. And it seems like folks who listen really picked up on that. So thanks for taking the time and thanks for listening. I did receive some constructive criticism regarding the length of the theme song. Um, some people thought it went a little bit long. Uh, so as a professional who listens and strives to continually better the quality of this production, I kept it exactly the same length as our first cast. <laughs> so as a musician, you know, it just really made sense to me, you know, where we would cut out. So uh, if it's too long for some, we're just going to have to live with that. But uh, in all seriousness, though, um, everybody who shares their story in this podcast um, is incredibly courageous in my mind because these can be very difficult stories to account. They're revisiting times of despair and desperation, uh, but their stories are inspirational um, you know, to those experiencing substance use and addiction challenges, um, also to their loved ones and to concerned members of the community. Um, so I'm very grateful to have these wonderful individuals on this podcast, and I'm happy that people are listening and sharing. Recovery is possible despite all of the barriers, and we're committed to shedding light into this fact. So we do have some very exciting podcasts lined up uh, for the next few months. Um, Umbrella Society just celebrated three years of owning Foundation House. That's our second stage recovery house for men. So I want to celebrate this by having a three podcast series, taking a deeper dive into Foundation House and its model and highlighting the program through uh, the stories of three amazing individuals uh, who have found long-term recovery through their experience at the house. So you can look forward to these conversations in the coming weeks. But first, I am very, very pleased um, to have a special guest uh, by the name of Bray Lynn, or as we know her, Bray, um, on our show today. Um, this amazing woman has genuine star quality about her. I've always uh, said this about Bray. When she speaks, people listen. There's just something the way that she presents herself that demands attention. Uh, Bray is such an active member of the community. She's a role model and leader in Victoria's recovery community, in our LGBTQ2S plus community. Um, she's a strong advocate for gay and trans rights. Uh, she's an educator uh, and she's an absolute inspiration. She's also uh, an amazing and renowned hairstylist. So I could go on and on about, uh, you know, Bray's accomplishments and what she does in the community. But on, on top of all this, Bray is uh, one of the most genuine and charismatic people you'll ever meet. And Bray's story is one of resilience and perseverance uh, as she's had to face additional barriers of discrimination on her road to recovery. All right, Bray, thank you so much for uh, coming and, and agreeing to, to come and share your story. Uh, at Comfortably Numb. This is uh, our fifth podcast. So, you know, we're kind of off the races now. We've had some uh, exceptional people come in and share their stories. And uh, yeah, just really, really happy that, that you agreed to do this. Well, anytime. Thank you for having me. That's great. So I think how I always like to start is, is you know, hearing from you, where do you feel like your recovery journey started? I think it was, it's different for everybody, but where, you know, where was that point? Do you have a, a point in time that you're, can kind of think back to and and think like that was that was where my recovery journey started yeah definitely um so my recovery journey started um I kind of like break it up into two I feel like in my head the first time I was introduced to any sort of recovery was when I was 21 and I had just moved back to the city Victoria um <clears throat> following following a breakup and um you know I, super young life was just getting messy um I had I was like six months into like my gender transition and I had to move back home to live with my parents and I was obviously not coping very well at all and <clears throat> pardon me and yeah, so I had gone to see this counselor just to try to get guidance. And, you know, I thought I had every sort of mental health disorder in the book. Um, I was seeing a psychiatrist. I had been seeing like a neuropsychiatrist in Vancouver. I, um, I was just 
really struggling with life in general. And so, yeah, I went to see this counselor and I only saw her for the one session. But at this one session, one of the first things she asked me after kind of hearing me blabber was, um, uh, how much are you drinking? And that question really caught me off guard because I was kind of like, well, why is she even asking about that? That's not the issue. Mm -hmm. Like the issue is all these mental health issues. And like, I want a solution to my problems. I don't just want to be asking my drinking, but, um, anyway, so I, but it was funny because it was the first time I was ever really honest about my drinking with a professional. I'd always, always kind of lied about that or kind of glossed over it. And, because in my mind, that was just how I treated my mental health issues. And if if anyone was as sick or sad as me, they would drink as much as me, you know? Right, right. It was it was everything else going on around you that the drinking was just the kind of the solution to the problem at the exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It was my it was my coping mechanism and right. And you're um, okay with that at, at this point. Is that? Oh yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I thought all tortured artists, um, (laughs) drank and had addictions. And I thought, you know, I thought that I didn't see addiction as like an actual, actual issue. I thought it was more of like a character trait that made me interesting. And Mm -hmm. I didn't see it as a cause of issues. So I, but yeah, so for, for whatever reason, for the first time I was honest about it and I said, I drink a lot. (laughs) <laughs> and I just kind of said that to her and she kind of asked me about how much and I was like oh I probably have like oh, like a bottle of wine a night or something and then when I go out on the weekends I'm obviously drinking more and um <clears throat> I was also quite heavily medicated at the time for like with like psychiatric medications and combined with like my hormone replacement therapy my testosterone blockers all of this sort of like stuff in my system I was yeah I was really kind of in rough shape and and then at the end of the session she she handed me an AA pamphlet Hmm. to which I was kind of like I was kind of upset because here I was like looking for like a solution I was looking for help I was listening you know, I wanted someone to like hear my problems and like listen to me. And like, I just, I didn't see why she would, I, yeah, I felt like she was just kind of pawning me off on AA. Right. She just didn't, didn't want to do the job herself. Kind of. of, Yeah. yeah. I felt like she wasn't really listening. And anyways, I, so I was like, whatever, like I wasn't working at the time I was living in my parents' basement. Like there was no reason for me not to go. So I was like, at least it'll be something fun. I was like, maybe I'll meet a guy or something like maybe, you know, like I was like, it's something to do, a way to meet people, whatever. And I was like, maybe I'll give this sobriety thing a shot. Right. Right. And so I went to my first AA meeting and the very first one I went to, it was kind of just like a bunch of old people in a church and something about it really did connect with me though and um I don't know the the fact that I was in a church was interesting because normally I had been quite you know anti-religious and I didn't grow up in a religious home or anything and I didn't grow up with even any sort of spirituality in general but I kind of felt this kind of like I don't know this little subtle like feeling and um then the the next meeting I went to was um, uh, a Dunedin Dunny meeting at uh, like Discovery Group, right. and um, uh, and it uh, yeah, so it was quite impactful. Like I went there and I I just felt like I belonged immediately. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what, what is this? I was like, all these people are just like weird and and fucked up is, I just asked if I could swear. Um, We we put explicit content, we we put the disclaimer. Yeah, it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Do what you got to do. Yeah. So I was like, everyone here is as fucked as I am. And that, it felt nice. I, I never really felt like I belonged. So it was kind of a nice feeling, but of course, before the month was over, I had decided that, you know what, I'm too young. I'm 21 years old. Like, I'm not going to get sober. Like, and 
So did you stay sober through that, that month where you, where you were going to the meetings? Almost you... a full month. I okay. probably made like three weeks. Okay. And then I thought, you know what? That's close enough to a month. If I was a real alcoholic, I wouldn't be able to go three whole weeks. Right. To just stop like that. Exactly. Right. I'm like, yeah. that's not real alcoholic. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not like addicted. Like if I like stop drinking, I'm not like having seizures like I'm not actually an alcoholic right. and then I uh so yeah so then I just left and then like one night I was just kind of pissed off or upset about something and I just left a meeting and then I immediately went and um got some alcohol from the liquor store and met my friends and went downtown and then for another year I partied and went out and kept self-medicating and within that year to like it was yeah probably a year year and a half um i by the time i hit 23 years old it had gotten significantly worse and my mental health had declined like very rapidly and i still wasn't working um still living in my parents basement and not that there's anything wrong with living in your parents' basement. It's just, I just kind of say that as a it's, point of reference. Right. It was kind of symbolic of, yeah. 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 To, because I wasn't living there because I really wanted to. It's just, I, I literally couldn't hold down a job at this point. I was right. such an emotional wreck. Like so that was your option. That was uh, at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you know, I think, I think my parents may have been a little bit enabling me at that time. Like, sure. you know, they didn't want, especially my mom didn't want to see me hurting and stuff. So she thought, okay, well, let's take all responsibility away from you so you can look after yourself. And, um, I, I don't, well, honestly, it probably was for the best because otherwise I would have just found money other ways. Right. So, um, so you're, you're kind of at this point, you've, you've, you've had this little glimpse of recovery and this kind of, just initial like dipping the yeah. toes in the water realize yeah. it's not for you but then a year later things are kind of you know not the same they're actually getting worse and yeah. deteriorating at this point <laughs> yes thank right. you for keeping me on track here no worries. but <laughs> um yeah so there was a series of uh you know i and then i started abusing anxiety medication and um which well I already I always have been but it was getting much worse and I was combining it with alcohol and um I kind of had one really bad night where I think I just really hit my absolute rock bottom and you know I had like suicidal thoughts and stuff like for a lot of my life but this time it was getting really really real and I had a um you know, I had, I kind of took an overdose, but it didn't really knock me unconscious. I went out and then the next, it's all quite blurry. I just like stayed at some random guy's house and passed out at his house and then woke up in the morning, got a ride back to my place. And then, and then I, you know, I tried again and I took another overdose and of anxiety pills and, um, Again, I guess my tolerance was so high, still didn't lose consciousness, but that's when I did try to, um, uh, you know, I, I took like a, like a box cutter or something to my wrist and, um, yeah, so I just, I really did try to just make an attempt on my life and, um, and somehow in that time found time to give myself a horrible haircut and like, you know, just the full meltdown, okay. the full right. good old fashioned mental breakdown. Right. And luckily my younger brother was living there at the time as well. So I was able to, you know, like what I, looking back, I don't know if it really was a true suicide attempt or more of just like a really desperate way of reaching out without the language. Sure. You know, so without knowing how to do that or how to advocate for myself or how to ask for help. So I, you know, I got my brother to drive me to the hospital and in the ER is when, you know, I, I just told the nurses that like, I'm not going, like, I'm going to try to end it if you let me leave. Like, it's just right. not like that. I, I did right. not want to be here anymore. And right. um, yeah, just the mental 
pain was too, too much. I just could not handle one more minute in my head. And uh, luckily, I got so lucky. Like looking back, it's like, and especially working in the field now, I see how often people are turned away and like, but I just. Critical moment, right? Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And, but like, I just, I got so lucky. They got me right into Psych Emerge. I stayed there for a few days and then um, they moved me right into, they just fast tracked me right into detox. And um, that's really when you know, I had forgotten all about AA, even though it had only been a year, I I had forgotten all about it. And it's when I was in detox that, um, all of a sudden I was that feeling I had kind of felt in the church that first time I went there for an AA meeting. It was, I I, I kind of felt that it was, it's like this kind of like hopeful, it's this kind of this presence. I was feeling Mm. this presence and, um, and AA came to detox because, you know, they come and do right. detox meetings and so does NA and other sort of recovery groups. And um, and I know we have people there as well. And uh, that's when all of this information that I had like been, I had heard in those three weeks and like hearing like the different information and stuff just came flooding back to me. And uh yeah it 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 was so funny how you know I thought I had forgotten all this and then like within mm. in a AA meeting and detox all of a sudden I was I remembered all the words to the the preamble and like all right. these things and all the prayers and I was like holy right. and yeah so for me spirituality has been a really crucial part in my recovery right. and I in detox is when I started praying every night and I have, I have done that for my entire recovery. And it's been one of the main staples is just, even if it's the smallest little prayer, like right. once a day at least, like is that my staple. And since then is when my, yeah, I would say my recovery journey like got traction. And right. from there I, you know, I stayed in detox for about 10 days, um, they had to monitor me because I was on benzodiazepine and right. um, the drinking and stuff. And I I didn't really see the need for like a medical detox because I still didn't think that it was that bad. But right. it wasn't until later that probably like near the end of the week when I got started getting my like vitality back, right. I started realizing that, oh my gosh, like this is what... I used to feel like as a kid, like this is what it's supposed to, life is supposed to feel like, like when you're like well-fed, well-slept. Well, I didn't really sleep in detox, but. um, Right. You're, you know, you've been, been punishing yourself for for years in your body. Right. And you're seeing that other side of it where you're, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Feeling like, and just feeling hopeful about something, like feeling like anytime I had tried to quit drinking like on my own or that first time, it always felt like I was just trying something out that would never stick. It's like when you try to start eating healthy, it's like, you know, you're not going to keep eating healthy. Like it's only, it's only going to last a a month or so. But this time it was like, I felt like I had a new life and I felt like there was like a higher force helping me. And I had never felt that before. I never well, maybe when I was a young child, I remember feeling that, but, um, I, I'd always felt so alone and all of a sudden I was feeling like connection with other Mm. people for the first time. And yeah. So from detox is when I, I, you know, I started looking for, um, uh, I started looking for treatment centers to go to because I wanted to be able to get the most out of recovery. I wasn't okay. working. Yeah. I, I um, was put on income assistance in detox, right. which allowed for uh, treatment to be covered. And yeah, I just want to, I just, just for people who don't know that, um, you know, if you're on income assistance or disability, uh, at least in BC, um, that 
that covers your your stay at a treatment center, at specific treatment centers. Um, so many people don't have that option, right? So funding is always a, a key barrier, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a lot of times what happens in detox. Yeah, you get put on to income assistance or disability so you can um, access the center. So so they did that for you and you were you had the motivation to kind of see this through and go somewhere else with your with your recovery. Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred okay. percent. Like I I always thought rehab, treatment, rehab, whatever you want to call it, I always thought that was for rich celebrities or something or people with rich parents who would just send them there. And I didn't think that was something I was even allowed to do or could do. Um, Or at least I knew I couldn't pay for it. And I would never ask my parents to pay for that because... Such a hard position to put. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And like as much as you know, I needed help. I was always of the mentality that like, I actually didn't have it that bad. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess I, I always thought that it just wasn't really a legitimate addiction, Sure, but it clearly was, but it was, it's that kind of like, yeah, you know, growing with like, you know, colonial roots and like the stiff upper lip. Mm -hmm. My mom's from England and like, we just, you know, you don't talk about your feelings. You don't have problems minimizing all everything everything's minimized and if it's not it's because you're making a joke of it like there's nothing's taken seriously and so for me to like ask to go to treatment I just I wouldn't have ever had the language for that at the time and uh so anyways luckily I I got um I got a bed for a it was like a women's recovery house here in Victoria and Um, I was super hopeful and I think it was the day before I was supposed to be released and that's when um, you know I got a call from the recovery house and they had gotten my medication list faxed from detox from the hospital and they saw that I was on testosterone blockers so they asked and estrogen and they asked me because I'm, for those of you who don't know, I'm a trans woman. And um, at the time, it was, bef- I hadn't had surgery yet. Right. So, and <clears throat> I hadn't, I should specify, I hadn't had a vaginoplasty yet. Right. And even though I, we should never have to mention that, it's, it's, it is necessary to the story. Um, <clears throat> so they saw that and they told me that. Um, I wasn't, I wouldn't be accepted into the treatment center because, or the recovery house. I can't even remember what it was at this point, but because I, um, because there was vulnerable women at the house or whatever, and that I could be a threat to them. And they said, they said that they said to, for the safety of the women. And they asked me point blank over the phone the woman was like, do you have a penis? And wow. yeah, and I mean, I was, I I think I've never, it was, not only was it just so awkward, it was super dehumanizing, Absolutely. Um, so uncalled for, and looking back, it was absolutely, um, you can't ask that of someone. Yeah, yeah you totally. can't ask that, especially in, nowadays, it's, it's almost right. common knowledge that you can't, ask private medical information about people and um yeah so but of course I didn't know that I didn't know my rights and at that time we unfortunately trans people weren't protected under the human rights act in Canada and um it's crazy to think because I think this was 2000 this wasn't too long not even this was like 2000 I don't know, 2013, something like that, 2012, 2015, something around there. And, uh, yeah. So, so I, that just sent me on, oh my gosh, I, the fact the, the, if I hadn't been in detox at that moment, like if I wasn't surrounded by like professionals, I would have relapsed 100% because it just reaffirmed everything about myself that I drank over and right. everything, you know, it was like cast in, in your face yeah, essentially. Yeah. Exactly. And it was pretty much saying as a trans person, you are not deserving of recovery. And, you know, I had the option to go to um, co-ed treatment facilities, but I didn't necessarily feel safe in a co-ed 
recovery house. I've never been comfortable around men. I was in addiction. Obviously, I put myself in dangerous situations with men. I didn't trust men. I didn't feel comfortable. And I also knew that they were a distraction. I, on the other hand, I was like super over-sexualized. I, um, you know, like the kind of sex and love addiction was really intertwined with my um, drinking and using. And um, I I knew what was best for me was to be surrounded by other women. Mm. And... Uh, yeah so (laughs) this gigantic barrier is just you know oh my gosh it's like they're pretty much saying that you don't deserve to be to have recovery the way that you need it that that you've you've that makes you safe exactly It, it, it was saying that these women's perceived need of safety over something that isn't dangerous is more important than your actual safety. So, but I ended up, you know what? I ended up going for a, um, I thought that, yeah. So anyways, I had a huge mental breakdown in the ward and, uh, luckily the, um, social worker was really able to calm me down. And, um, uh, she, she actually kind of, I think she kind of dealt with that situation though. I think she was, she was really good and she called the, place and i think they may have gotten the woman who asked me that fired but i'm not sure okay. i think that was the plan at least raising the flag that this is yeah this yeah is okay. so yeah and it's funny because that not only was that the very beginning of my um recovery it was it was really in line with a lot of activism i was doing at the time just before i went to detox i was kind of char- leading this um online social media campaign against some discriminatory bills that were in parliament and stuff and okay. um it had it had gotten like global attention and alongside that I was also well and because of that I was noticed by a director and agent in um uh, San Francisco and I was doing some modeling I went down to the States did a little bit of modeling with them and shot some stuff for this like reality series or whatever and so there was a lot going on and I was not stable enough for any of it and mm-hmm. so it it's just funny how even like completely unwillingly being in the hospital I was still having to be an activist okay. and right. still having to stand up against this um this oppression I was just being faced with everywhere when I was just trying to heal, you know? So, um, that put a sour taste for recovery in my mouth, but thank God I, I still had that kind of feeling of hope because I, you know, I tried to, um, I decided to go to a different treatment center that could get me in last minute. Um, I did have to spend a month back with my parents because, I, um, I did have the suicide attempt and they needed me to be in the community for a month or something before sending me to treatment, Mm -hmm. which in high, like now that looking back, I think that's the most ridiculous rule. That's a real challenge. It's like, right. Just hold that thought for a month. I know. I know. Like I've just kind of cluing into that right as I'm saying it. I'm like, And it's for liability purposes, right? The treatment center doesn't want to be liable for someone who's suicidal, right. but at the same time, let's keep you in support. And, exactly. Yeah, it's like, okay, so you need to, essentially what right. they were saying was you need to prove that you're no longer suicidal by right. not killing yourself for a month. Right. And then you Back can. Back in your old environment. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. It's God knows how I survived. And honestly, God is the reason I think. And in my heart, I know that. And, um, yeah, so long to, keep, to wrap this sort of portion up, um, I ended up going to um, uh, Turning Point Recovery Center, uh, Recovery House. Spent about ten days there before I got a bed at um, Pacifica. Okay, I went to Pacifica in East Van, okay. and it was co-ed. And um, you know, I think everything does kind of happen for a reason, and it was a really good treatment center for me. Um, and even though it was co-ed, um, it it was it didn't really work too much against me, and I think that um, it I think it really did kind of put me on the heart, like it it really f- kind of threw me to the wolves in terms of recovery, and like it was like here is recovery, like get used to it, okay. 
And uh, there was, you know, it it was a very strict at the time. I don't know what it's still like, but it was quite strict. There was a lot of rules and I knew I needed that. And the making your bed every morning, the um, mandatory like meditation every morning with group, um, all this kind of structure that I hadn't had since I was in school, like years, years before. And I, you know, I learned a lot in treatment. I was there for 90 days Mm -hmm. and it's, it really showed me, I don't, honestly, I was, because I was so young too, I think I, it just like taught me a lot about the world that I didn't know. And it really kind of like brought me out of that like sheltered suburban sort of life I had come from. And I saw, um, I really learned a lot about like addicts and myself included, but just seeing all these kind of beautiful people who, and were so smart and so talented in every which way. And like my empathy for like people suffering from addiction really started to grow there. And, um, you know, we have, there was counselors in the treatment center and group counseling and, different sort of meditation things, yoga, which I never partook in. I would just lay there and (laughs) (laughs) um, kind of this little microcosm, this little community within the community. And I still kept going to AA meetings um, and NA meetings and smart recovery meetings while I was at the treatment center. Um, And in that month before I went there, I, you know, I had quickly got a sponsor um, in the program and the AA program and I had think I had started on my step work and I was working through like the NA step work guide um, so for me I'm I my recovery is very 12 step based I yeah. have always found it to be very um, I needed that structure and I needed to be part of a community and I needed access to like to meet new people, to make Mm. friends. Like I needed to get in the center of recovery. Um, if I, if I, if I wanted to keep it essentially, um, a big thing for me, like in addiction was always feeling alone and feeling like there was nobody like me and that I was just this sad person and I was born sad and I'm going to die sad. And that's just, my destiny is your story exactly that's i just thought i was a sad person and that's just what it was always going to be and uh yeah being in recovery showed me that well the steps specifically taught me i think the most crucial things they taught me is that um i am not unique and i think there's this kind of double-edged sword, double-edged sword with addiction where I kind of, you know, the ego is so big when you're in addiction and even after it's kind of the human condition in general. But like, I, I, I always felt like I was either worse than everyone or better than everyone. I was never right. equal, okay. never equal to anyone. Never on the same plane. Never on the same playing field. Um, yeah, I was either the the master of the universe or I was the victim of the universe and things were happening to me and um, everything was everyone else's fault. And if only things would go my way, then life would be perfect. And there was so many parts in the, um, the, the uh, literature of AA specifically that when I, w- when I got out of treatment and I was doing um, the steps with my sponsor back in Victoria, um, uh, that it was almost like they were written for me, even though it's written by like some men in the forties or something like it's right. an old aspect. Totally. And the language is really kind of um, patriarchal and, right. It's a little archaic. It yeah. is, it right. is. But it's kind of like adds to the charm of it. Right. Um, I mean, like how, how archaic is the Bible and we still right. are obsessed with that. Right. Totally. So 
um, it's I've always it's kind of like the Bible for AA. But um, yeah, there was like this, there was this, there is this excerpt that just talks about like the um, the director trying to arrange the ballet and the lights and the actors and trying to make everything perfect. And then when it's perfect, the way the director wants it to be, then they can be satisfied. And that just like, that just hit me like a wall of bricks. Cause that's exactly what I was doing. It's like, I wanted everything my way and I wanted everyone to do what I wanted them to do. And, I just, and then when it, that didn't happen, I blamed everyone else for it because it's like, how dare you? Like, don't you know that this it's supposed to be <laughs> exactly. And okay. I felt like that made me feel like everyone was against me. So my only option was to drink. Right. So learning how my mind and my spirit had been warped by addiction right. helped me to not only just get over the the drinking part of it but change my thinking and I do think that like I I really do believe in like a kind of like holistic and secular approach to recovery and I think that whatever avenue helps someone reach the realization that they are not in control and life is just life and mm-hmm. you need to accept life on life's terms. Right. And if you can't like, and until you do that, there'll always be something that makes you want to drink. Right. And I had to change my attitudes and the way I was behaving in the world to not only um, like, you know, get me away from the substances, but create a kind of, life and lifestyle where I didn't need to drink and there was no right mechanisms that I was setting up for myself to to land back in addiction right so um of course I lost sight of all that and at um you know I got super involved in AA back in Victoria um I I started sponsoring people I, um, you know, at this point I had been working, I went to hair school, um, life was coming up daisies. Full of momentum. Yeah. In the right direction. Oh yeah. Like the trajectory of my life after getting sober was it just a steep incline up. And unfortunately I had done a lot of work on addiction and I had done, I had like created these kind of like, um, this kind of spiritual connection that helped me see um, my part in things and how to live life. And, um, but I hadn't dealt with the boy stuff. I hadn't dealt sure. with um, using people, okay. like people, places, things, and right. um, treating people like substances. I was still demanding things of other people and i i was i would drink men essentially (laughs) like 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 alcohol like i would you know i had my first relationship and this relationship taught me so much but it was my first kind of relationship that i had been in sober and because before i couldn't i couldn't make any sort of like intimate connection without being drunk like that was just just hand in hand Oh yeah, at least right. to start out, like I yeah. couldn't meet someone sober, right? Or, or like sleep with them sober, like that was not right. an it just option, didn't right? Nah, but um, this is my first sober relationship, so I felt very connected to this person, and um, he was very similar in the sense that he, we, you know, we were like obsessed with each other, and um looking back it was like my first toxic relationship Mm. super toxic relationship but i feel like we all need one of those when we're young um (laughs) you learn a lot from you do it's how you learn how to not be that way or at least for me i need to learn everything the hard way so um yeah uh so i didn't have the uh, the uh coping mechanisms and techniques to deal with that so of course when things started getting rough in the relationship 
when it turns out that he wasn't the imaginary person I was projecting onto him and that it wasn't the relationship I wanted, I didn't think, oh, maybe I have something to do with this. No, I blamed him and I blamed God. And I thought that, again, I was a victim. I was a victim of this circumstance. And uh, how dare you not give me what I want? And um, I drank over it. And so that was my my one relapse that I've had. And how long after, like, how long were you in recovery? How long after? I had two and a half treatment? years. Okay, so this is two, you got it. Yeah, right. I had two and a half years. I was, um, you know, I was doing pretty good. I was pretty solid. I, I was doing all the right things, but my my heart wasn't in it anymore. Right. And I, I wasn't. I hadn't gotten right with God. Like I was still seeing kind of my conception of God was still this kind of, you know, this controlling entity that um, gave me a specific life. And I I just wasn't happy with what I got. I was like, I felt like I had been dealt a shit hand and I wasn't going to accept it. There was just still a lot about me that I couldn't accept. And, specifically it was just like the trans piece like that was my biggest insecurity and of course it still is but um i mean that's a whole other talk right Right. like to get into like because everything's so intersectional when it comes to uh addiction and like who we are and all that but yeah so anyways yeah so um I had in that relationship, I had actually ended that relationship briefly to have my um, surgery and well, surgeries, I guess. And um, afterwards, things just weren't really the same, of course. And um, I think that I it's because I hadn't taken any time to myself to like really figure out who I was. And there was all this change and I was expecting myself to be able to just have a healthy relationship with a fellow human being. And that's not really I don't think that well for me it wasn't possible at that time so yeah but anyways I'm rambling now no this, this is great so is you're it? I mean yeah absolutely <laughs> so I mean I I think it's always you know great to touch upon that it isn't always just a clean trajectory there's so much work that goes into mm-hmm. recovery right and there's we've taken away our, our major coping mechanism and then you know shit hits in the face and the life kind of goes on. There's all the other stuff that we have to deal with and presents itself. So after two and a half years, obviously like you rattled and you had your relapse, how long did it take for you to get back kind of on that track? It was, it was it a long, like that's a lot of change in a, in a short period of time as well. Like I'm sure that's, Oh my God. Yeah. My early twenties were stupid. Right. Like I went from being, I, in my 20s, I went from being in college for healthcare as a heterosexual male right. to a living in Vancouver, studying interior design as a homosexual man to, and with a relationship and stuff, to coming out as trans, starting my transition, moving back to Victoria, um, all we, the whole time being an addiction. Right going viral modeling tv show then addiction crushed me and i went into the hospital and like it's all this crazy stuff was happening and then i get into recovery and then i get into this relationship and it's um it was so much at once and uh and then all of a sudden yeah so then i was a hetero woman and trying to navigate that life. Right. Um, and it, meanwhile, it hasn't even been five years. So anyways, your question. Um, I didn't... And this is this is the testament to AA and the testament to um, recovery in general, whatever avenue that is, as long as you stay in the center of it. Sure. Um, I was at an AA meeting the next day after my relapse. I went out that one night, went downtown did my thing, got drunk. I ended up running into an old friend who was into harder drugs. I ended up um, 
using substances I said I never would have ever used. Um, this is after two and a half years of sobriety, and I picked back. I picked up exactly where I left off and right. worse. Yeah. Within like I think six hours, I was, um, you know, sitting at home in a beautiful home in Oak Bay, and then <laughs> within. Yeah, within six hours, I was behind the 7-Eleven on Bay and Blanchard smoking meth. And <laughs> that, and I laugh because it's, it's just so ridiculous, but that's where my addiction... Right. Zero to a hundred. Zero yeah. to a hundred. And because and when I'm in addiction, my ego's involved. I love the drama. I'm right. going to do whatever is going to be the most outrageous. Yeah. And that involves saying yes to whatever is presented to me. Right. So... Luckily, by the the next day, I had someone picking me up, taking me to a meeting at noon because, you know, I woke up and I don't think I had any intention to leave the program or anything. I know I knew I hadn't changed. Like there was no thinking, oh, I'm going to drink a little bit and have fun. Like, no, I was mad. I was sad. I wanted to. I wanted to self-destruct to pretty much, and this is the most fucked up part of it all, um, in my head, looking back, it's like I was, again, so unable at a certain threshold of emotion, so unable to convey emo- to convey my needs and to express myself and to um, reach out that I chose to self-destruct as a way of reaching out or as a way to get what I wanted. And, you know, I wasn't happy in my relationship. I was wanting, I was either wanting an out or I was wanting um, more affection or something. And the relapse in the most psychotic way possible worked. And did I get the affection I was needing? Yes. Because all of a sudden partner feels so bad for me and oh you poor addict and it's that kind of self-piteous but like manipulative um reasoning and just methodology methodology yeah i don't know um that was going on in my head to get me what i wanted and Sure enough, it kind of worked, but not, but it was at the expense of my soul, at the expense of my health. And what I wanted wasn't good for me. It was not a good relationship. And that partner was not good to me. And sure enough, of course, it ended shortly thereafter. And thank God it did, because that started the next phase of my growth, which was recovery from people places and things and sex and love and um not that love is a inherently addictive or bad thing but i was using it the way that right application is everything exactly so i was using it as my quote-unquote higher power and um so yeah i dived right back into the program and I started being a little bit more true to myself after that. And I started to, um, you know, one of the quotes in um, recovery is like, to thine own self be true. And I, that was the piece that I think I was missing. I was trying to do recovery everyone else's way. And I was ignore, I was still ignoring that, that um, feeling and that conscious consciousness that, had was speaking to me when I first got sober and that was like, you know, my true self and my, my conscience. And I, I think that my conscience is a direct line to the creator, to God, to my higher power. I think that, um, I think that like God's will is expressed through, um, consciousness and my conscious conscience and and my conscience comes from my consciousness but anyway not to get too like metaphysical here um (laughs) we uh i uh um yeah so 
I, you know, briefly moved back to my parents. I feel like I'm starting to get my whole life story. But anyways, started my next phase of recovery and I started looking more into that. So I had, I got some counts. I went back into counseling and I started doing a little bit of a 12 step program for codependency and sex and love addiction. And, um, I moved out on my own. Um, I was moving up in the world of, hair I, I'm a hairstylist right. so I was you know I started groove in the, yeah, yeah I started I like graduated hair school got a job started working my way up and um yeah and I I took a lot of time to myself just to discover who I was and what I kind of wanted and um dive back into like uh visual art which was has always been a passion of mine and um, really just kind of going back to those basics that I had learned in treatment. And, um, I think like life really has a way of like, um, distracting us and allowing, um, more superficial things to really cloud our judgment and cloud what we learn in early recovery, what is important, which is like connection to other people. And, um, just the simple things, um, and like mindfulness and all those basics and just grounding yourself, like basic, basic things that help you in daily life. But, um, our Western culture, we just don't appreciate it and we don't value it. Don't make a lot of space for it. No, no. So, and you know, I got sucked right back up. So, um, into the system, man, but, uh, (laughs) Um, yeah, so, and that's when I kind of like exploring, started exploring more spirituality and I, you know, I had felt like one thing I'd always felt like a victim of was, um, religion and, um, God, Jesus, all that stuff. And I, so I kind of like made a point. I was like, I'm going to, um, check out church. And I met another trans girl who, um, was went to church who was a Christian. And I was like, how is that possible? Right. Like that seemed like such an like oxymoron to me. Yeah. I was like, that <laughs> what? Like how? So, but, but that intrigued me. Cause I was like, okay, well I'm into spirituality. So maybe this is just the next phase. And, you know, I, I believe that like people are put into our life to um, teach us things and to um, kind of be little like God shots or pointers of what to do. And I, So I started going to church and I actually got really involved and I started like doing service work at the church there. And, um, I was on the committee to help make the church a, it was a United church. So they're very like left leaning and think, I I believe it's the true nature of Christ. But, um, (laughs) uh, I was on the committee there to make that church like an affirming, church which meant like um they go through this process the whole the whole um congregation goes through this process of um like education when it comes to like lgbtq people and um and the history of um oppression within the church um and uh yeah so i did a little bit of that and i learned a lot there and um that really fueled like another kind of um, wave of spirituality for me. And I found a lot of healing in that. I know for a lot of like LGBT people, like addiction affects us um, disproportionately. Um, And within the community, it's rampant. Like I would say it's like 50% of us are like fall off our asses drunk. And then the other 50% are sober. Like there's, it's very rare to find someone who's in the LGBTQ2S plus community who hasn't struggled with some sort of addiction. And yeah. So anyways, I found a lot of healing there. I learned that like what I had been told, um, and what was the basis of everything that made that kind of fueled all this hatred towards um, LGBT people. Like it was all started by, you know, people 
taking advantage of the written word of God and taking advantage of Christianity and using it as a tool and weaponizing it against us to support their own beliefs. And I learned that the original, um, the original uh, scriptures and stuff, there really wasn't much about demonizing us. And I learned that when and why certain um, kings and certain like politicians and certain um, uh, nation, uh, nations and stuff had twisted the words in their translations right. and right. made it a way right. to, to serve um, their purpose essentially exactly yeah. Yeah. and so learning that it, w- it made me realize that I was you know I was judging the ugliness of a few trees and miss and missing the beauty of the whole forest you know gotcha. like that okay. that saying like right. I was letting a resentment towards like one little aspect of religion dictate my entire um view of it so um yeah i found a lot of healing there and then like like everything my spirituality has grown since then and it's kind of shifted forms i'm i'm actually now i'm getting much more back into meditation and mindfulness practices and i find like it's like not it's not a linear journey with spirituality it's very much like i think it's all again all just different ways to um define the same thing um and it's yeah it's hard for me to talk about recovery without talking about spirituality no i think it's great and i think this is it is a key component to so many people's recovery and i think it can sometimes be a barrier i think sometimes you know a and na can can um you know it's it's a barrier for a lot of people that Mm -hmm. that kind of spiritual component so i'm glad that you're you're touching upon it you know it's um yeah because i think it's it's a key piece for a lot of people right so um and it is intertwined so yeah no i appreciate you kind of Talking about so how you know how how far along are you now how how many years sober are you are you now now I have I don't really count anymore because right. it's, yeah, yeah. it's just my life but I yeah. think it's I think I'm taking I'm either taking five or six years that's amazing um in March or May yeah. I, I like that you're not like I don't I, I know anymore great. because yeah. yeah I don't because I, it, it, it's, it's a lifestyle now right it's yeah it's, yeah, it's, yeah yeah and like I used to have my first sobriety date memorized perfectly but then after my relapsed I I was like why am I counting like yeah. I don't right it's that you might as well count down every day you live because every day I live is right hopefully you're gonna be a sober one totally so well I I, I like to with with your story it's the fact that there's kind of different levels to your recovery and it, and it shows that, that recovery isn't just something like, Hey, I stop substances and you know, I count my days. It's like this constant progression, mm-hmm. right? Self-discovery and, you know, growth that, that happens and it, and is continual, right? Like, so you're, you know, five, six years down the road, you're, you're still in that stage of growth, right? And you're still putting time into your recovery essentially, right? Totally, totally. And like, you know, I think that my development, was stunted with addiction. Like I think it really did stunt um, a lot of what some people, you know, they've covered, they've gone over in their own heads. Like there's, you know, you know, those kids who just like in high school, they just knew what they wanted to do when they were like, like 10 years old. And they just like are nice, genuine, good people. And they just like, they just figured it out. They grow up, get married, have kids, save the world. Like (laughs) I feel like, you know, I was stunted and I have a lot of catching up to do. And right. I think that, yeah, um, there, like, what else is the purpose of life if not to just, like, continue to grow and learn more about, like, who we are and what yeah. what we want to be and do? And Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, like I said, I, I think it's, it's great and it's probably a testament to your success and recovery that you do lean into that and you do continue to grow mm-hmm. and, and challenge yourself. Um, you know, I, I, I see it with, with a lot just where um, people will rest on their laurels and kind mm-hmm. of, you know, and, and kind of forget about all the work that kind of got them there and kind of stop in that, that, that the hard work that it takes really, you know, to continue to grow. So I, I, I really admire you for, 
for continuing that. And I mean, you've you've worked for Umbrella as well, and you've you've been a you're you're still an active member in A and and, and um, yeah, and I think you're um, you've been a, a huge advocate for um, uh, for for your community and for and for the LGBTQ community, um, you know, in recovery as well. And I, and I think that was that was something that I I, I think you 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 know starting the, the Rainbow Group here at Umbrella was, yeah, was a yeah. really amazing. Well, I missed out the whole Umbrella chunk. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, so with 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 your your kind of work giving back, like I mean, I think you really kind of took both those worlds and and really cha- you know um, took your experience and and, and made. Kind of our community to be a better place in in the world of recovery at least um yeah how was how was that experience for you oh it's it's been really really gratifying um it's even um it's even help it's it's so funny how the world works like you know i taught the uh, gender diversity training um mm. to the umbrella staff i kind of just um created my own class about it based off of a little kind of class i had taught a few times at my old high school mm-hmm. earlier in my um days <laughs> and um but I really was able to hone it and perfect it and present it to you guys in a much more like professional way and even that is just like randomly led into like more employment opportunities and I was right. able to like as an independent contractor I've gone to a bunch of local businesses That's and so I even awesome. Um, why I, I contracted a girl as a sub as myself a contractor to subcontractor to um, go and teach this stuff to um, like the district of Central Saanich Amazing. and they even had like their police there so like there was there has been so much um, just like domino effects of everything I think like when we do kind of like or at least myself, whenever I try to kind of like fix anything that I myself was a victim of earlier in my past, it's kind of like very empowering. And I think that it's when the universe kind of makes things just like happen for you, then I think that is kind of like, it's a sign that, oh, this is what I should be doing. And I, I find that like, if things just, if doors just keep opening, I kind of like, I'm just going to walk through it, you know, like, mm, right. Yeah. Right. I think, uh, anyways, I think it's great. I think, you know, I was saying this before that you, you are someone, you're very compelling and you're someone who, when you speak, people, so people compelling. listen and you know, you say it was, Oh, it's just cause I'm tall. I've got a loud voice. But I think there's a lot more to that. I yeah. Think. I'm also um, really smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're passionate and you, and, and you really believe in, 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 uh, what you have to say and and uh it really comes across and so i think that yeah like i said we've we've just loved having you um being a spokesperson for umbrella and just um for our community i think i think you're yeah you're just working wonders and you and you, you you're pretty skilled in the in the you know fashion haircutting uh hairstyling business as well i i know my my sister actually gets her hair cut from you and she and does like, yes man every single time it just blows me away so um just i'm just so glad that you're leaning into all your talents and uh um, I guess the last question before we leave is, I always like to ask this. So if, if you see someone, you know, just very fresh into recovery, kind of coming through those doors and, and do you have any advice? What, what do you usually say to someone uh, when they're, when they're first starting their journey? If uh, you know, if you have that opportunity. I think the honesty I think just the the most fundamental, simplest level is just being completely honest, regardless of if it's going to upset someone, regardless if you don't want to know the truth. Like if, if I or if anyone just says the truth of how they're feeling, um, like and just where they're at and if they are if they just lay it all out and kind of let go of that pride it's like that's when people can help us and um you you know reaching out is so important and like we don't need to be like smart about it like you literally can stand in front of another person in an AA meeting and be like I'm suffering this sucks like and you will get help and you will have people who will tell you what to do right. and it's really that that surrender 
that right. surrender to just surrendering to your your own reality just surrendering and um it's the hardest thing for people that have always tried to control everything um like literally their 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 mind trying to control their mind right. like it's the hardest thing to do but to just be like weak right for like one second you know just to mm -hmm. be vulnerable just to like let all the walls down and just like let people help you right. is it's it sounds so much no. easier than it is but totally yeah. and if you if you have the have the guts to do that you know like the the beauty ensues right and uh, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely well i i mean i'm really really happy to ha that that you came in and uh chatted I, it's funny i think that we could do like eight podcasts with you there bray um this is the yeah i really really we love need more it. topics we just need more topics we'll have you back <laughs> <laughs> I, I expect a live studio audience next yeah time. exactly exactly well thank you so much i really appreciate you taking time and and uh yeah this is great anytime thank you so much blake okay thanks bray well there you have it another unique deep and incredibly inspirational story um, i'm really proud of bray and what she's accomplished most proud that she's part of and a major supporter of the Umbrella Society. Uh, so I hope this story has resonated with those listening and hopefully this cast becomes part of your lineup. It always blows me away to hear how unique everyone's recovery experience has been and we'll continue to share these unique stories in the months to come. So thanks again to Bray and we'll see you again in two weeks time when we'll begin our three-part series highlighting Foundation House. Uh, from here in Victoria, BC, on behalf of the Umbrella Society, I am Blake Anderson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>